Here we are, the first of two spoiler casts coming your way. We are not recording this with our Spider-Man correspondent for a very good reason. Mm -hmm. Because Kenji, a social worker, and someone who works with me IRL on transformative justice. And a prior guest on the show. That's true. We talked about Disco Elysium, which I now own and have not yet played, but do own and will be talking about soon. They're joining us. Because we were talking about how No Way Home is actually a little bit of an abolitionist text. And that is both LMAO and also super serious. So without further ado, thank you for joining us for this very important conversation. Kenji, we're so happy to have you. Hey, thanks for having me back on. You're so welcome. I felt like we really needed to discuss Spider-Man. The Spider's Men. Yeah, for once, it actually works. <laughs> that joke works. <laughs> They're all practicing abolition. That's that's what I got out of the movie. I mean, it is and it isn't an abolitionist text, right? And, and I liked how you said we're joking, but we're also kind of not, because a lot of those themes seem to be opened up in the film. So I'm, I'm excited to lean into a conversation about how, how it is or how it could be interpreted in that way. Let's lean right in. I would love to hear your thoughts about how it is and how it isn't an abolitionist text. Yeah, I mean, I didn't stay, um, I feel like this is anathema to Marvel fans, but I didn't stay to watch the second after credits <sighs> scene. Wow. So I, I, I know, Interview's I know, over, I know. you're canceled, bye. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> I know, I really wanted to stay, but I, I was out, I was outvoted. And I didn't see like Ruth Wilson Gilmore's names as a contributing writer, but I thought like, are there <laughs> abolitionist themes that are, I, I remember sitting there at multiple points in the film and thinking like, are they exploring issues of punishment, of incarceration, of restoration, of transformation? Just to kind of jump in in particular, the way that the, the underground scenes of imprisonment are happening and, and the kind of, if Doctor Strange is the kind of boomer of the film, right? <laughs> he is. The kind of old school, <laughs> old school way. This is how it has to be, Peter. We're going to send them back. They will die. This is how it's always been. You know, it, it kind of evoked for me the history of incarceration itself as a kind of remediation to to the death penalty, right? This was seen as a sort of rehabilitative step, but actually, you know, was warped into its own monstrous thing, which is imprisonment. Mm -hmm. But it felt like we were presented with this vision of a different way of of interacting with those who harm, um, which I did not expect as the text of a Marvel film, right? The um, you know, we have these critiques of Marvel as a part of the military industrial complex and the way that, you know, the weapons industry or all these other kind of defense conversations are, are idealized. But here we're actually exploring, like, what does it mean to be in relationship with people who are really struggling, even when they're causing tremendous suffering? And, and I thought really in particular, Doc Ock, the Green Goblin. You know, I didn't watch the uh, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie, so it was kind of Fair playing catch-up <laughs> about who some of the some, I, I, I think some of those villains. You should go back, but also not fully necessary for this film, and not in the way that the Sam Raimi ones were. Yeah, I mean, I even thought like the cro- oh, gosh, the crocodile. I don't know his <laughs> name. The human crocodile. Doctor Connor. Doctor Alligator. Right. So I felt like, did he? 
Was the actor like, did they just CGI the actor or was he like, <laughs> that was like one question I have. I think they just CGI'd the face. Yeah, I okay. Okay. I'm pretty sure Homeboy was like, I'll be in this, but for literally two seconds, just put me in front of a green screen, which is like fine with me because there yes. was a lot going on. Also with Sam. Yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> if I have a substantive critique of the film, because for me, it's like a 12 out of 10. It, it was end game level good for me, just to get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. I think it was very clear that Lizard, Dr. Connors, and Sandman were not physically in the room and they were not contributing to the chemistry. I think. Dr. Connor suffered the most from that. Like, yeah. it, it, he just seemed there. It, it was, well, not even there. They just right. stuck him in a truck for... Right, and and also, like, <laughs> Peter didn't even capture him. Dr. Strange was like, I found him in the sewer <laughs> right, anyway. Right. <laughs> right, and he ran past J. Jonah Jameson with the Hitler mustache. That was his biggest contribution to the film. <laughs> uh, I was like, is this intentional? That's right. Are making, you know... Uh, J. Jonah Jameson into this, like, Alex Jones-esque Infowars selling supplements farce. And, like, I I don't know. I always kind of thought the character was a bit, you know, aggressive. But I just remember when the Green Goblin interrogated him in one of the first films and demanded to know who was sending in the Spider-Man photos. This man didn't give out. But now he's, like, cast in this film as a total hack. So that was one kind of thing I had, I had trouble squaring. And then I would also say at the end, when Peter is about to murder goblin in the way that goblin murdered himself at the end of the first film i thought i don't think i'm really buying that this kid is so angry that he's about to do this it just felt a little incongruent with this character this would be my only kind of nitpicky character development things i think that in many ways the plot seemed to signal to us that he was ready to forgive before the battle began and mm-hmm. and so for him to regress in that way during the battle, I I agree. Which leads to your point, I think, about the issue of transformative justice and abolition. But Cedric, what, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say it was just some dumb Marvel shit. It was like Willem Dafoe did what he had to do in that fight scene. It looked oh, really good. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> and that, that's all. He, he, I just, you know, he, I'm sure y'all saw the thing where he was like, I'll only do this if I can do the stunts. And it showed. And that was it. I, I, I also I want, that reminds me too, Cedric, like, <laughs> we had this nice moment with Peter and his former mentor, Otto Octavius, and they, you know, the original Peter, Tobey Maguire, right? And they see each other. But I really wanted a moment where Norman Osborn and Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker even just had an, an, a momentary exchange, you know, after all that had happened between them. So I felt a little thirsty, or that's not the right word. I felt a little starved of that. <laughs> I feel very strongly that Spider-Man in general is more of an abolitionist character or an abolitionist force Completely unintentionally, perhaps. Especially because in a lot of modern iterations, including the recent video games, Spider-Man is basically a cop. And I think much of the critique of the MCU's version of Spider-Man is that he was essentially rich and famous in a way that Spider-Man traditionally has never been rich and has never been famous. And his working-class ethos in part contributes to this idea that like sometimes people go astray because yeah. life gets fucking hard and 
MCU Peter has never really experienced that. Cedric <laughs> made a quip during the movie that, like, this is the first time that Tom Holland's Peter Parker has experienced <laughs> a mentally ill villain. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. He was in like, his uh... first, <laughs> in his first movie, it was a total legitimate, like, fuck the government for screwing me over right. in a financial way, working class narrative. And Vulture didn't want to kill him. He was like, please just don't get in my way and we'll be fine. Mm. That was like a forced confrontation. That's such a great, you know, I, again, I haven't seen the Spider-Man movies that um, Andrew Garfield was in, but Peter's villains, as I recall them, especially Norman Osborn, even Harry Osborn, even mm. Otto Oct- I loved in the original Spider-Man movies, you know, that this corruption of the heroic, you know, it's almost like the, the archetype of um, flying too close to the sun and this thing that he wanted to control, this nature then controls him. And he, when he said in this movie, the voices have finally stopped, I can finally hear, I just thought to myself, like, we're also talking about mental illness as a part of narratives and discourse on crime or harm or incarceration. And that you, to, to Cedric's point, this is the first time Tom Holland's Peter Parker has ever encountered villains like this. This wasn't the case for the villain in the last film. I think in many ways, Spider-Man is almost acting as the inverse of Batman in many ways, because Batman's villains in a very similar way are mostly just mentally Mm. ill and need some kind of intervention. But instead of trying to cure them the way that Peter Parker in the comics and in this movie very literally comes up with cures for all of these individual people, Batman beats the shit out of them, and then throws them in jail. Which, it's not technically jail, it's Arkham Asylum, but it's jail. It's jail. (laughs) And he knows that they're not being rehabilitated because they keep breaking out and they keep continuing to be (laughs) mentally ill. Well, not that. Okay, I'm being reductive, but you understand. In this, I think Spider-Man's goal was to rectify the root of the problem with all of these people and give them a second chance. And I thought that that was a beautiful ethos and in many ways captures the allure of Spider-Man in a way that MCU Spider-Man has not been directed to do in many instances. Mm. I I love the observation that Arkham Asylum is basically a carceral institution, right? This is like Foucault's observation of the way that these different institutions in medicine, in education, in housing, and et cetera, are all governed by these carceral logics. The doctors strange, keep them underground, send them back, you know, deport them to their dimensions where they're going to face a, a grisly end of which I'm washing my hands of any responsibility. In that sense, I think part of the film is about, if not explicitly abolitionist, it seems at least motivated by what you're talking about, Jordan, when you describe these politics of, can we figure out a different way of interacting? It's almost like um, this was like the progressive DA uh, office version. Like it's not a full-throated version <laughs> of abolition, yes. but it's sort of um, it's sort of motivated on principles that that question carcerality as the response to to when harm is done. And and I noted like he even brings these these people who have tried to murder him and who would kill people. He, he brings them into his home 
and feeds them. And there's, uh, I think there's a condemnation of the society that um, doesn't support human dignity, that that works people in, in Osborne's corporate setting or in Doc Ock's kind of research corporate educational setting that works people to the bone or to the point where they then experiment recklessly on themselves. I don't know. I think the ethic that Parker is, is, uh, is modeling says that humans have dignity. I especially appreciate that the film changes in the middle in large part because Peter's original plan fails. And I think instead of reducing itself to being a reactionary narrative about what could go wrong Mm -hmm. in attempting an abolitionist ethos, instead we move into, no, really we just need to reinforce these ideas. And how we're going to reinforce these ideas is by bringing in two Spider-Men whose movies were in a more direct way about rehabilitation at the very least when MCU Spider-Man, again, had not really ever gone that route because there really wasn't enough time with Mysterio and with Vulture was a different situation where he really needed to intervene in Vulture's plan. Although, you know, you could argue about whether or not he needed to intervene in that. Um, So I just, I, I found that a really beautiful way to introduce Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Yes. I know that you haven't seen Andrew Garfield's movies, but like he does cure Dr. Connors, as he says in the movie, like I've done this before. He does do Uh, it in the first one. And in the second one with Electro, he kind of does his best, (laughs) but (laughs) Electro basically does what he does in this movie. And he he dies. Um, Spoiler alert. So I thought that was also interesting because Dr. Connor and Sandman were actually the only ones that didn't canonically die in the movies that they were in. Right. You know, this also helps me understand maybe why they conscripted Peter into this murderous rage towards Osborne at the end when I thought maybe he'd be more postured towards forgiveness. It's like, maybe this is also a comment that we all have, you know, Jung's shadow side or that we all have the potential to go overboard, to cross boundaries, to cause harm, that we have these different kind of natures. I mean, it, if, if I guess if we think about what Peter experienced as a, as a kind of kinship with these other men who have great power and whom have may, maybe have responsibilities thrust upon them, I don't know, I, I suppose it gives me a little perspective on what they might have been trying to communicate with the final climactic encounter that the villains had. It didn't feel, um, it didn't feel very, very cheap to me, I suppose, in that way. Mm. Yeah. So we could talk more in depth about the ways in which this film reinforces and also gets in the way of transformative justice as, as a concept. Um, but I, I feel like we've really set <laughs> the scene pretty well. Also, what what an exciting time for an MCU movie to allow us <laughs> <laughs> to give us something that we could like you know discuss within that framework. I think it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. I would like to to fan out though. Absolutely, yeah. We're right done with now. the we're done with the academic bullshit. Let's <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about Daredevil. Oh right. <laughs> Yes. I'm so sorry. What do you 
party, Johnny Cox was on the screen. I was choked up my popcorn. I really screamed and felt the kernel of popcorn going down my throat and was like, and had to get it out. I literally almost choked. I am just so spoiler alert. (laughs) There is a direct connection to Hawkeye that happens. And Something that happens in Hawkeye, it's like, okay, when is Daredevil showing up? And for it to happen in this way, even if it was a very small cameo, was just so mm-hmm. satisfying, especially just for Charlie Cox in particular. I don't know if you saw the Netflix Daredevil show, no, like, Kenji. We loved it. You you should, you should watch re- it. At it's, least watch okay. the first season. Yes. It's, it's, it's very excellent. Good. Excellent. It's very good, and now it's important because it's canon. Oh, well, well is it canon? I, Maybe? Not official. I feel like they're gonna soft reboot. Yeah, we'll, those we'll guys. See. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Regardless, whether it becomes canon or not, it's still very, very good. Charlie Cox did what he had to do. Yeah, Charlie Cox earned the the right to come back as Daredevil. Yes, it was a very good performance, and so that was exciting to see. And I wonder if he'll show up for the She Hulk show since it could just be that she works with him and Foggy. Uh, if there are multiple superhero lawyers running around and he'll be like an antagonist in some way, like a, a legal antagonist. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I don't know. It, that would be very interesting to see. Um, we've already kind of talked about the introduction of the Spider-Men, but I just want to put it out there. I was emotional. Oh my God, I cried many times yes. during this movie. I literally like... Had to turn around and be like, "Are you crying?" Like I, <laughs> yeah. what what is going on over there? Y'all, I I oh, cried when Doc Ock was tearing up the bridge coming in, and Alfred Molina. <laughs> I was like, oh. "They got you early." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is going to be almost twenty years old very soon, and the first one will be twenty years old next year. Look, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Sam Raimi has given us so much and yes. we should all be eternally grateful for him. Sam Raimi has really given us a lot. I also want to say that Andrew Garfield to me was a fantastic Spider-Man. I really liked his portrayal. I know that the movies themselves were not very good, but I I'm happy to be on record on this show saying that because a lot of people are talking about Andrew Garfield after seeing this movie about how good he was and how they hope they bring him back to do more stuff. And now there's rumors that they are going to bring him back to do more stuff. And I just have to say, he deserves and the passion and excitement that he very clearly has for this character and the way that they kind of got to make fun of him a little bit for being the <laughs> least favorite one. Yes, yes. Number three. <laughs> like, okay, Spider-Man 3. He like, he, yes. he gets it. Yes. He, knows. Yes. he gets it. And I appreciate that a lot. And I feel happy that he's a good sport. And also, he deserved more. Yeah, yeah. I had the feeling, oh my gosh, did I miss out by not watching? Like, I heard they were shit, so I didn't watch them. No. But, but, but seeing him in this film, I was like, wow. <laughs> You know, he knows his place in the spider archive. He's charming. And I had the same reaction. I also really genuinely loved Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy. Oh, shit. So one of the emotional beats of the film, you're not going to well, have wait, understood. Wait, wait, wait. But because... Be, did she... When he, like, caught 
Zendaya's kid? Is that because she fell and he couldn't catch it? I was guessing yes. like, maybe that's what happened. That's correct. Yeah. Good that's job. exactly what That's happened. exactly what they did. Wow. So they really showed Emma Stone plunging to her death? Yes. It, it was, that was a it was brutal, brutal scene. I, I remember like watching that in a theater. Oh, remember theaters? Yeah. And I, we like, like everyone was just like. <gasps> Do you know how it happens in the comic, Kenji? When Gwen Stacy dies? No. They reenact exactly how it happens in the comic. He he tries to get her with a web, and the force of her fall versus the web snaps her neck. Oh, that's right. That's right. Is that what happened in the movie? Yes. So for him that's to save true. her, I was openly weeping at that point. I got tearful, but I didn't know why. Now I know. Thank you. Oh, I was weeping. It, yeah, was, no. it was very emotional to see him save her and have an emotional reaction. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm Spider-Man. Okay, that's what I did. Like, he cried, and I and then I cried. We were all crying. Even more. Everyone we were all crying. crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about the Spider-Sense scene. I thought that was phenomenally well done because there were so many villains in his house and he didn't know oh. which of them was about to do some crazy shit. <laughs> and we're all thinking it's going to be Electro because he's very clearly having second thoughts. And then nah, the Green Goblin shows gonna up. going to be the Goblin. Oh, masterful. A menace. A menace. Can we, can we just take a moment to appreciate oh, Willem Dafoe? Again, I already talked about him, but I just, I love, he just... <laughs> Like what? what? <laughs> He's something of a scientist to himself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was so good, so good. <sighs> um, all of them hanging out together and just bantering. Perfectly. It's like your like, podcast. I'm like, this is perfectly rendered. <laughs> this light banter. Yes, I was just so happy because they all exhibited the differences between their Peter Parkers so well. Mm. It made me appreciate all of their performances more. But for me, I think Toby's stood out for me in a different way. Because I think he's always been an understated Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's probably the closest to how I would anticipate a real Peter Parker in the world to act and behave. Mm -hmm. Like, Tom Holland is very clearly a millennial slash Gen Z version of this. Like, he's earnest but anxious. <laughs> There's, like, an anxious energy. Yeah, he's like a Marty McFly energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas Toby is it's just... <laughs> Toby's just calm, cool, and collected even when he's panicking. And I I just... I love it. It yeah. felt like such a payoff. There was a scene at the very end <laughs> where the coffee cup says it's our pleasure to serve you or like, we're happy to serve you or something like that. And it was very like, yes, you are. It was fan service from beginning to end Mm. and they knew it and we knew it. And I'm just grateful. That's all we need. It's fine. It was so good. Um, do you have any thoughts about Aunt May or Dr. Strange? Yeah, I, um, you know, I haven't seen, gosh, I'm not the most, um, God damn it. Kenji. Studied Marvel. (laughs) I know he's got like a movie. I feel like I pick my individual superheroes in the MCU. And if I like them, I watch their stuff and I try to like learn what I can. And I know I'll miss certain things. So you're normal. The big. (laughs) No, no. 
<laughs> but I was like, how are they going to set up the central premise and problem of the film? And I, I guess I thought the conceit of the spell being messed with kind of did work as a kind of narrative device. I liked how he was a foil in this. Again, I literally thought that um, he was going to be called a boomer in that scene when they were talking with him and he's on the top of the stairs, like, get the shit done, Scooby-Doo or whatever. I was like, I thought they were going to say, okay, boomer, and we would have like a TikTok moment or something. But I did like how his kind of law and order-esque, these are the rules, corporatist like uh, posture or the rigidity of that, even against Wong's was contrasted with like the the idealism of youth kind of thing. And actually that the generation under him uh, taught him and showed him some things that he might not have even imagined possible. Aunt May, I was, oh gosh. I mean, who, who among us, my peers, does not remember Uncle Ben's passing? I, I referenced the, the words from Uncle Ben in a eulogy I gave last year for a family. You know, like that... For me, that story is a part of my own values and archetypes and just um, knowing what what happened in that film those 20 years ago. And so actually like circling back and having that connected with Tom Holland's Parker losing Aunt May in this way, it felt it felt meaningful. It was one of those moments when I was in when I was in tears, although I, I wish that she also were more fully developed as a character. And I found myself thinking, would a social service worker really say this person's crazy? Like, would that reflect her training or her her work? Could we we have her a little more fully rounded as a character and not, you know, simply a a plot device? But... um, Yeah, no. As soon as she said the line, I was like, God damn it. I I thought she was going to walk away. (laughs) I was like, no, it's too much to take away Aunt May. As soon as she said that line, I was like, as soon as she said it, though, it was over. over. God yeah. damn. That's when we knew, right? <sighs> the fact that the other Spider-Men have the same experience and that he was like, oh, no one can understand. And they're like, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We can yes, very specifically it. understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved Endgame too, right? But if I had any critique of the of the film or of the MCU, of this kind of bombastic storm the barricades, not go quietly into the night, like fight against death for life itself. Like, I don't know. It felt like then in this movie, we had one of the most intimate moments of these three characters bonding over their shared experiences with grief and with loss and with internalizing it and, and integrating it. And I just thought like, this is this is part of the understated nature of the video game Spider-Man or the comic book Spider-Man that I've always been really drawn to. Mm. He's one of the only characters that I think gets this treatment in popular media. I know that comic books have gone deeper with individual characters and that you can find similar stories. In fact, the Guardians of the Galaxy video game that just came out, I would say, has a very equally emotional story at its core that is very specifically about dealing with grief. And... I just recorded a whole spoiler cast for that for a different podcast. And in fact, I think if you look on our Twitter, you can see a link to it. But (laughs) there's clearly other examples of this happening in the comics, but I don't think there's many other examples of this happening in the MCU and in many of the other story arcs. Like, not to say that they don't touch on grief. Perhaps WandaVision. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, yeah. Because I was like, oh, maybe Tony Stark, you kind of get, or like, Thor. some PTSD. Yeah, but it's, like, so short and so, like, yes. not fully realized in a way. It's triumphalistic, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
That's exactly right. I thought overall that the inclusion of Doctor Strange went really well. I think that his recklessness is very clearly going to become a part of the plot of his follow-up film, which I find very interesting in the context of our earlier discussion about this perhaps being an abolitionist text in the sense that is his takeaway from this going to be the possibilities of otherworldly solutions or is it going to be reinforcement that things are rigid. He's like, this shit totally hit the fan and I'm never doing this again. So, Because right. that's kind of his villain's <laughs> critique of him mm-hmm. uh, is that he bends the rules too much. And I don't know, is is the fact that he unleashed hell upon the multiverse going to be like, yeah, I should never do this again. Or, well, sometimes you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with him. I'm glad that he got his ass kicked by Spider-Man, though. That was very humbling oh, for satisfying. him. <laughs> yeah, it was And um, math. Math. I was like, magic is not infallible yes. in the MCU, which is an exciting thing to think about. So happy that magic is not infallible in the MCU. Him moving around in the astral plane and stuff and Doctor Strange being like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just, that was well done. That was well done. I was a bit perplexed by the ending, and I don't know if either of you felt similarly, but, like, does he have a social security number? Does he never? I'm like, how are you going to navigate? Like, do people not know him as him? Or him, is there a birth certificate on? Never thought I would find myself asking. Like, I'm just curious, like, how he will... How you question like how far does it go? It's, yeah, like how is, it, is he going to be able to? Is he un, undocumented and having to navigate world outside of these institutions? Will he be able to participate in them? And also, like, I guess I didn't. Is it that he didn't? He saw his friends were happy and going to college, so he didn't want to like talk with them anymore. I also thought like Ned was going to make out with um, MJ when he walked in. Oh my god, that would have been... And that Peter was going to be very lonely and leave. But did you... Can you help me understand that? My sense was that he saw the bandage on her forehead and decided that in order to keep her safe, he was going to keep her out of it. Which is a very Peter Parker thing to do. Mm. But yeah, Mm. so I... I don't know. I guess I I don't know how far the spell went. Is it like does Peter Parker see like George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life? Like, I think yeah. that it's going to be scripted away in many instances by the snap. I think a lot of people were dead for five years, and the government probably deleted a lot of records for those people. And there's a huge crisis of folks that came back given what we know about the world from Falcon and the Winter Soldier, even though it was a terrible show. And I think that he's now just, Had to get yeah, he got snapped and he came back and you lost all my paperwork. So I'm I'm part of the refugee program now or whatever you want to call it. Like that makes sense in the context of the universe. And also he had a GED book. Yeah, so I clearly that. he's not planning on graduating with a diploma. So... It leads me to believe, yeah, none of that shit exists for him anymore. Which is exciting, because mm. I keep making the, like, ugh, I need Peter Parker to grow up. Ugh, I need him to be an adult. Oh, my God, I'm so tired of him just, like, living in the shadows of the adults around him. And finally, finally, we get that. Working class Spider-Man in the MCU. Love I'm that. very happy with that. It was, mm. it was a major critique of the first two movies, and... I think a lot of people are going to feel very satisfied 
to know that like shitty apartment with a door that doesn't close. Peter is back. <laughs> yes. I'll yep. pay right when you fix this damn door. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that that's so important to who he is as a character mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah. and why he has those motivations. And so, yeah, he, he comes from a slightly different, he wasn't rich before he interacted with Tony Stark. That's my understanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They weren't like struggling yeah. in the same way that like the Raimi Spider-Man was. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy that that, that struggle Spider-Man is back <laughs> And that the next trilogy is probably going to be him on the ESU campus, maybe even taking pictures for Jonah Jameson. Like, that may very well be where they go with that direction. I don't know if that would work, given how they clearly are trying to turn him into an Alex Jones-type character. But I don't know. I I think that the future is going to be very interesting. Uh, And I'm curious if they're going to put him on street level. Like, is he going to tango with a lot of these... New York City-based superheroes and villains because he's not getting a call from the Avengers anymore. They don't know who the fuck he is. No, and Toby Spider-Man doesn't know who the Avengers are either. That's, that's right. <laughs> they said, no, that, that shit does not exist over there. We're so sorry. No, we never did it. Thought I was going to get an X-Men tie-in, but they didn't. Alas, they didn't, let me, they didn't let us have it. Yeah, I wonder if this will also be, you know... I think comic book writers like Eve Ewing, right, are exploring this. And this is a conversation y'all have had on the podcast before around the relationship with the police. Like, I wonder, will we see a Spider-Man in the future who's not like scanning police radio channels in order to find? I was I was actually surprised they included that uh, at that one scene. Oh, at the very film. end, yeah. I think they said like, oh, would you move there? Yeah, there's crime there. Like, oh, <laughs> is that... <laughs> is that where we are? Yeah. Okay. I I think that we will get that Spider-Man. It's just going to be Miles Morales. Very yes. clearly, they have a plan for Miles Morales. That tease from Electro is too much. Yes. It was too much. Was, I was emo- I was like, did you see the story of like, I think it was on Reddit, of someone, of what people watching that scene and a kid in the theater was like, there is one, it's Miles. Like he said yes. that during, I was like, it is Where's Miles? I can't wait. I'm I'm so excited. It's actually very funny because based on the spell, no one from Miles Morales's um world world would have came here because it's Miles, not Peter. And I was like, I was thinking going into this that maybe they were gonna sneak him in. (laughs) They couldn't based on the rules of the movie. Maybe it's because he's animated. Mmm. (laughs) Well, he exists in the MCU because Prowler, by Donald Glover in the first movie, is is his uncle. Wait, wait, wait. Prowler is played by Donald Glover? In the very first movie, Tom Holland has a very short interaction with Donald Glover in a parking garage. Yeah, yes. And that's the Prowler. Oh. So they've been teasing Miles Morales for many years within the MCU. Oh, my God. I know. I know. It's wild. That movie was a tear Could you imagine being us? You, we watch all of them, all of them, all of them. 
Each and every last thing. <laughs> this is your trade. This is your craft. Your... <laughs> I don't know if I call it a craft, but yeah. this is your vocation. A lot of people have been very critical of the MCU online, and I'm trying like not to take it personally because I have no reason <laughs> to take it personally because I'm not a multi-billion dollar corporation. And at the same time, I'm kind of like, you're a Harry Potter fan. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, I don't right. want to hear anything from you. Now is our time. It's our time now. Well, I hope that if there's a guest or a listener out there listening to this guest, you know that you don't have to watch every single thing in the MCU. You can still have the respect of peers like Cedric and Jordan. <laughs> you can still have a satisfying life. <laughs> you, can still, you can still even even feel deeply for these characters, but you'll also have to Google a lot and read a lot of recaps and talk with your friends. Love That's that. fair. I love what we're modeling here. That's fair. <laughs> Well, <laughs> to wrap up, the post credit scenes, interestingly enough, didn't really lead to very much information about what will happen in the future beyond that Venom is now officially in the MCU and the symbiote is in the same universe as Peter Parker. Tom right, Holland, Peter which, Parker. Right, Tom Holland, Peter Parker. That's right. Which is fine with me. That's all I needed. And we still don't know which universe Eddie Brock MCU yeah. or, or Why Venom. Why for Grace? <laughs> I, I don't know what the I have. We have not seen the Venom movies with Ed Hardy, so I actually don't not know if it's Ed Eddie Brock or not. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Whoops. Well, he looks like an Ed Hardy. I I haven't seen them, Jesus. and I don't know what the deal with them is. I've heard that they're not that good, which is part no, of why we have to watch if you're on a plane. <laughs> specific situation that's, that's rough really... <laughs> well you know you've got like a four inch screen and <laughs> I would love to know what universe that Venom belongs to like is it Andrew Garfield's universe is it Tobey Maguire's universe is it some other Spider-Man's universe maybe that's the Miles Morales tie-in and then even though he exists in the MCU he's gonna come from a different universe who knows all I know is Secret Wars is very clearly coming that's all I have to say <laughs> Uh, Kenji, you don't know what that is, do you? I don't. That's okay. I was debating if I should look it up. <laughs> it's a, it's another big arc the way that the Infinity right. Gauntlet is an arc. And it's a multiversal arc. And it's one way for them to flatten the universe at some point in the future by bringing in, like, they, they could basically cherry pick whatever they wanted to bring okay. in and then flatten it again so that we're not constantly under threat of multiversal shit happening. They've got some places they could go. Oh, yes. Many, many, many places. People who think that the MCU is like dead soon just have no concept of how large and expansive the comic book universe is. Like, if Guardians of the Galaxy can be a headlining group, there's no shortage of where this could go. This is going to go on until we're dead. (laughs) Yeah. How exciting. I don't know how I'll feel once Kevin Feige leaves. He very rarely misses. That's true. I have to put very rarely now because of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Look, we're not... also that Hawkeye post Did you see Falcon and Winter Soldier? I watched part of the first episode. That's That's it. That's all it deserves. That's all it deserves. You You don't need to know anything else. (laughs) 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 That's it. I will watch Hawkeye now. And I did see WandaVision. Please do. Please watch Hawkeye. Hawkeye is a treat. Very good. And Loki will be very important for you. I watched Loki and I okay, liked good. the um like the cartoon like alternate what if know, like 
What if? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is called what if, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I like those ones. Yep. Well, Kenji, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about a very serious subject within a very unserious context. <laughs> thank you for letting me invite myself to be a guest. That's fine. Anytime you're like our correspondent, I don't know what to call this, but you're our correspondent that makes us see things in different ways. Because Our philosophical correspondent. Yeah. Psychedelic correspondent. Philosophical, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> because when I was watching Spider-Man, I was not thinking about abolition. I'll tell you that <laughs> It's so funny that we had that text exchange because yes. I was talking to Cedric and I was like, this is abolition. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, God. May we all be Spider-Men. Well, Spider-People. Spider-Man. Yeah, spider Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Spider's person. <laughs> Anywhere uh, that you want to plug in your life? Yeah, I can plug this very fun organization called Collage, spelled C-O-L-A-G-E. <laughs> oh, really? And uh, you can check us out at um, collage.gov. Just kidding. It's <laughs> .org. Uh, and um, we we do pretty pretty cool work for supporting uh, queer and transparented families and, and youth. Um, so I would, uh, I'm on the board with them. I would give them a shout out. Yay, we love that shout out. And where can people find you if they would like to find you? Yeah, if they would like to find me, um, I'm on the worst social media platform, uh, LinkedIn. I maintain it, it is the worst. <laughs> um, so send me a, a connect request. Or um, I'm on Twitter and the Instagram. At, uh, my handle is a fresh mind, which is the second and third worst social media platforms. Mm. Right. Mm. <laughs> I, <laughs> Until next time, dear viewers, listeners, listeners, they, they we're are listening. tired. I called them guests earlier. That's true. So many, so many words. Thank you, person, for listening to this. Downloader. Wonderful, (laughs) wonderful holiday season. Yes. And thank you, Kenji. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. This was a lot of fun.